Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. Awesome, awesome, awesome God. Holy God, righteous God, loving, merciful, compassionate God. Oh, Father, if it wasn't for your mercies, we would have been consumed, God. So we once again come by faith boldly to the throne room of grace, seeking mercy. Mercy, Lord, this last Wednesday of the seventh month, mercy and thanksgiving for your faithfulness. Thank you, Father. You've been so faithful to us. This evening, once again, Father, as we study your word, teach us. You are the teacher. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Open our eyes, enlighten our understanding that we may pursue, Lord, a little more of who you are. That we might please you with our walk. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been, uh, we, we study different topics through the years and, but everything, if you look at it, pertains to God. And how through that knowledge of God, we please God by faith. Because scripture says it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And the word of God contains the knowledge about God. The knowledge of the Holy One is contained. Primarily God's revelation of who he is, is through the word. Personally revealed to us in the last day, scripture says through his son, when the written word, the spoken word became the living word. But again, to understand what he says and what is written, the spirit of God is given and without the spirit of God opening our eyes, we still do not receive understanding. So knowledge alone is not enough. We can have knowledge, but we may not have understanding. And because we do not have understanding, we do not have wisdom. And without wisdom, we cannot make right choices. But over the weeks, we've been looking and we say they found the, the perception in heaven. And if we have a peek into heaven, is so different from on earth that in heaven we see both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the cry of the angels and the 24 elders and every every divine creature in heaven is about the holiness of God. And everything, the foundation finally is on, based on the holiness of God. So keep that at the back of your minds because we continue to make, to study on it. That's why we need the knowledge of the Holy One. Okay, the knowledge of the Holy One. Remember, we need the knowledge of the Holy One. One of the greatest gifts God has given man, us. It's like a double-edged sword. It's extremely good if we make the right use of it. Extremely dangerous if we make the wrong use of it. But the greatest gift God has given every individual is the gift or the freedom to choose. Nobody else has. No other creation on earth has it. We have been given the freedom to choose. But remember, choices have consequences. Young people, that's why I love Wednesdays now because the young people are there. I really love it because, you know, if you can make, have the knowledge to make the right choices, 
when you are at this age, you can save a lot of time which we wasted because we did not have knowledge to make the right choices. We had knowledge of the world, physics, chemistry, biology, those, those, that's just information of particular subjects that does not give you the knowledge of the Holy One to make choices can, can define your life and define eternity for you. So I love it when I see the young ones by choice or without choice, are here. Because you will have information to make right choices. Okay, But remember, choices have consequences. We often diminish the consequences of our choices. But the Bible does not. Does not. If the freedom to choose is a great gift, or one of the greatest gifts given to man, the consequences of a wrong choice is also great. So, we see in Deuteronomy 30, in verse 15, when God speaks through Moses, See, I have said before you today, life and, and, good, death and evil. You see, I have said before you what? We know about life and death, but today, we looked about God alone knows what is good and evil. We don't know. Unless we know God, we don't know how to discern between some rough idea we have because God has imprinted his image in every conscience, but we really do not know when the going gets tough how to discern between good and evil. God said, I have said before you good and evil. Okay. I've said before you good in this fallen world. He says, I have said before you life and death, yes, but good and evil. If you choose good, you receive life. If you choose evil, what you receive is death. That's why choices are very dangerous if you don't have information. If you don't have knowledge, it's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. We know in practical life, if you want to play with electricity, you know, if you don't have information, you can be really lighted up. Okay, you know, children have do not have knowledge about fire, about electricity, so we warn them. But God says, life is full of choices. Life and death, good and evil. So I can choose good and I receive life. But if I choose evil, what I receive is death. In verse 19 of the same chapter, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have said before you, life and death. Blessing and curses. So if I choose good, I choose life. If I choose good, I choose blessings. If I choose evil, I choose death. And I call upon myself what? Curses. Keep that in mind. Because we will ask, why am I like this? God said, everyone at the end of the day is the sum total of the choices they made. And I said before you, Life and death, good and evil, blessing and curses, you choose. That is why we need, we need information, we need knowledge to choose, to make right choices. And this is something which you do not get at school or college. This is not something which you get by reading textbooks. This is revealed only by God through his word and through his spirit. Outside of that, you don't get to know. You can make career choices. You can make lots of choices in life and you could be right in so many ways. But these choices, you cannot unless you have the knowledge of the Holy One. And also remember, your and my choice does not end with me or you. 
it follows after us. Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. God says choose life. To choose life, I need to know between good and evil. I need to know, discern between good and evil. I want to choose life, but how do you choose life? Because everything is sold as saying that it has life in it. Even water is sold, extra oxygen, life. Everything is sold in terms of life. God says choose life and that's what the advertisement world also tries to sell us that if you take this, if you buy it, you have more life. But God says choose life. God says the only way you can choose life that you have an understanding, a discernment between good and by evil. And you choose good, you choose blessings, you receive life. And it doesn't stop with you that both you and your descendant, the choices I make, you make. Passes on to our descendants. Some of you, all of us are here or in so many ways, our, where we are, are not just our own decisions. It is also a sum total of the decisions made by our parents. Our parents, not just us alone. Why am I here and not any one of my other siblings? Because of a decision that was made. I've said it before. The day my father brought me to India, the school where my brothers were studying, they shut the boarding. They said no more boarding. So I did not go to the schools or to the city where they all studied, all four studied. I was put in this small little town and the only child to go to a Protestant school from a Catholic family. There I heard the gospel. One choice changed my life. They never heard the gospel and they still don't hear the gospel and they still don't go to church. One choice Changed my life. And all those days I thought, why am I in this school? But now I look back and I say, Lord, thank you for that school. Because they're focused on the word. One hour every day, five days a week, they had Bible study in the class. And you had to write an exam. And you had to pass if you needed to be promoted to the next class. And being the only Catholic kid in that class, I topped every time. Not because I knew God, because I just needed to show these Protestants we can do better. <laughs> that was the pharisaical zeal. Okay, but I look back and I look back, woo, what a choice that changes life. So remember, it's not just who we, we the choices we make, the others also have made choices. So God says, choose, choose good, choose life, choose blessings. Okay? So we saw the danger. We saw last week's, we saw mankind fell when they fell into Satan's trap by the eating of that tree, from that tree. Genesis, God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was a trap. And they fell for their trap, they ate of the tree, and what happened? Remember what happens? Earlier it is God and God alone who decides what is good and what is evil. Because he alone is holy. But after eating the fruit, we became the reference point. That's the struggle you are all facing, everybody. That's why you are finding it difficult to receive counsel. Because your warden might come, Israel might come and says, don't do it. But you decide and said, who said it is bad? I can handle it. Everybody faces their trouble because they have become their own reference point to decide what is good and what is evil. Everybody. We are not able to discern that we fell into this trap. So now instead of God being the arbiter of good and evil, it has become us. And this is the primary struggle everyone will go through. 
question is who will be god it's you or god our every choice becomes important literally life giving or deadly every choice can become either life giving or deadly that is why we need information okay information that is why there is education education is basically primarily in the old days education was primarily to inform people how to live a godly life today it, that god has been removed that's the whole thing after darwin came in and questioned creation and replaced it with evolution you need to realize now in this current world we are living in the entire education spectrum it is not god who is the center it is science who is god it is science who is god it is not god every court will ask from the experts in each field when the supreme court in us overturned centuries and centuries of the definition of marriage between man and woman and made it between any two it is because they brought in experts from the field of science who were atheists so today it is science is science is god and we also always will go back to science and what we have heard in the scientific world and we will come back to it without realizing that science is only evolving but truth is set truth is set we need information yes we need science we need a lot of scientific knowledge to also to make daily choices but what we need in life is the knowledge of god that's why in hosea 4:6 god says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge lack of knowledge again we may sit there and think i'm not destroyed i'm fine but it's because we are looking from the perspective on earth every man in the bible when they saw a glimpse of heaven they said i'm destroyed they said and they were wonderful men Isaiah was a wonderful young man Peter was a wonderful young man they were all wonderful people but the minute they had a glimpse of heaven of the holiness of god their immediate response was i am destroyed we don't have a glimpse of heaven so we says we are fine god says no you are not you are not we have we do not have an understanding of the holiness of god and god because we are finite god also puts it across to us in terms which we find it difficult to understand but that's the only way we can understand so says god lives in unapproachable light how else does he explain himself to us his purity his holiness he's surrounded by darkness that is to protect us from that light god is light god when paul trying to explain i met jesus in that vision on the road to damascus like 10000 suns What is it all talking about? It's talking about the holiness, the purity of God. White has no. All these terms that is be using to understand, that we may understand the primary character of God is His holiness, His purity. It's absolutely nothing that mars His character. So we need knowledge. If we do not have the knowledge of the Holy One, we will be destroyed at the end. The second death will destroy us. so i need knowledge how to discern between good and evil so then question is who decides what is right and wrong who decides what is good and evil who will be the final arbiter in nations like india us and all you know finally it will end up in the supreme court one man full bench 
Finally, when the verdict is passed, they have decided what is right and what is wrong. But in life, it doesn't happen like that. It's much bigger than that. It is God. If a child is born, has little mother is there born, you will know there will be lots of voices in her life who will start telling her what is right and what is wrong. Starting with parents, relatives, teachers, society, so many voices. But the worst voices for you to hear about good and evil is your own age group. Your peer group. It's the worst set of voices from whom you learn what is good and evil. Unless that one in your peer group is like a Joseph or a Daniel. Otherwise, they, your voice, your age group. That's why this young people, our generation of young people, they are, they have so much potential, but they are destroyed because they do not seek godly counsel. They seek the counsel of the peers. After Solomon, remember the young man, his son, the promise God gave to him. Have you read the promise God gave to him? He said, I will be with you like I was with your father David. And he was promising exactly what he promised. But that young man wouldn't take counsel. And he destroyed himself. So remember as young people, okay, young people, you have a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, but you do not have knowledge. You do not have knowledge. So seek counsel. So the question is with so many voices, if you look here logical, let's use a little logical reasoning. So finally there can be only one who is the final arbiter, voice of discernment of what is good and evil. It has to be, that one has to be one who has all knowledge. That one has to have all knowledge. Two, that person has to be absolutely good, absolutely pure. And third, he also has to be absolutely powerful. Otherwise, it doesn't matter even if you know everything and you are so good, you don't have power, still you cannot change anything. So he has to be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely pure. That is exactly what the Bible says God is. That is exactly what other religions are not to say about God because they do not have the knowledge of the Holy One. So if you go to that portion once again about the choices, Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 to 20, you will see how God speaks. See. What do you have to see? See. What do you have to see? I. I have set. You don't set. Nobody else sets. I set. Good and evil. I am the arbiter. Not you, not man, not even an angel. I have said before you today, life, good, death and evil. In that, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away, you don't listen to my voice, you don't seek my knowledge, you don't listen to my counsel, and you go and worship other gods, small ones, and serve them. I announce to you today, it's an announcement, a proclamation, that you shall surely perish. What does it mean? These gods will have no power to save you. You may serve them. But they cannot save you. 
I promise you, he says, you will perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give them. He makes it very, very clear. Even when he tells them to choose, he says, without knowing me, you will not know how to choose. I am the arbiter. It centers around God and not man. He is the one who sets it before us. He is the only one who determines what is good and what is evil. He's the only one who can discern between right and wrong and life and death. These other gods, he says, they cannot save you. Nor can they protect you from the wrath of a holy God against everything that is contrary to his nature. In Genesis 3, from Genesis, not Genesis 3, from Genesis 3, after the fall of man, all the way till Revelation 22, is a revelation of the holiness of God, and the depravity of man, the love of God, and God's plan of redemption for the fallen man. You have to see it that way. We are not reading our daily devotions and all. You have to realize, why am I doing these things? God reveals through different things, but he reveals through creation. Bible says God reveals himself through all creation. In Romans uh, 1 and verse 20, scripture says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. His invisible attributes are seen through his visible creation. Let me ask you. If you look at the sky on a very dark night and a clear sky on a dark night, what do you see? And what do you feel when you see the stars? Millions and millions stretching and stretching. Now through science we know it's just unending. And what do you think about the one who created it? When you start on a hot summer day, midday, and you see the blazing sun, you're not able to bear the heat or the light. What do you think about the one who made it? But he stood by an ocean on a calm day or a stormy day. And when you see those waves, what do you think about the one who just spoke it into being. Or you see the towering mountains, the Himalayas, the towering mountains, or the unending sand dunes, whatever. Do we really respond like that the hymn writer then sings my soul, my savior God to thee, how great thou art. God says all of creation talks about who I am. My invisible attributes are visible through visible creation. This is the God, scripture says, who created everything, upholds everything by the power of his word. And he came into our midst like a little child, lived, died, and rose again. So that the just demands of a holy God could be met. Scripture talks about the day of judgment when he takes the throne. It's very interesting. The day of judgment when Jesus takes the throne. You know what scripture says in Revelation 20 verse 11? I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face earth and heaven fled. Creation fled. 
the whole creation, fled from his face. They couldn't face him. Entities that had power for centuries over the life of man, death, Hades, all these things. Scripture says in verse 13 and 14, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades, what we were so afraid of all these years, man was afraid of this. They were just thrown by Jesus into the lake of fire. Do we see the greatness of the God who came to redeem us? Then he makes just one declaration. In Revelation 21, verse 1, there is no more sea. No more sea. Gone. Dried up. Gone. Sea is gone. This is the God we worship. This is the God we worship. Scripture says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. It's gone. Why does God create everything new? Because it says it's absolutely new. It will be a new creation absolutely untouched by sin or any form of evil or ungodliness. Remember that. That's why he's creating new. He's not renewing the old. He's creating everything new. Therefore, if he's going to create everything new in which there is no unholiness, ungodliness, any trace of evil, then we need to realize, then that's what I need to focus on to be part of that new creation. Everything God is doing now, each day is focused, aimed towards that day. In that new creation, there will be a set of redeemed, sanctified people with glorified bodies. Each one will differ in glory according to the level of sanctification. They allowed to happen during this time. So the only question that matters is what is said in Second Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. The question to be asked is, this Wednesday, last Wednesday of the seventh month, am I in Christ or not? It's the only question that ultimately matters. Am I in Christ or not? If I am in Christ, are the old things passing away? Old things connected with the old creation. Are those old things passing away in my life and are new things taking shape in my life which is for the new creation? That's what it means. All things are passed away. It's passing away. Is that happening? Am I in Christ? Are old things passing away? Are new things being framed in my life? If it is true, then God says, you are a future citizen of the new creation. There is, in last Sunday, um, this week, Sunday, Pastor Vijay preached, he said, there is a work that is going on inside. There is no sound. There was no sound on Mount Moriah where the temple was being built. All the sounds were in the quarry. There is no preaching going on in heaven. All the preaching is on earth. There is no work of sanctification going on in heaven. It's all happening on earth. And it is happening. Heaven is silent. 
with just worship and cries of holy, holy, holy. All the work is happening over here. All the work is happening within us. Within us. So we need to ask. It's very easy. We know ourselves. Are things passing away? Are things becoming new? Suddenly you will realize religion has no meaning at all. No religion, including Christianity, has no meaning at all. The only thing that matters, religion is put in two terms. Semitic religions and non-Semitic religions. In Galatians 6.15, scripture says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. All religions come under these two groups. Has no meaning. The only thing that matters is, are you a new creation? Religion has no. Because we are putting a lot of trust. People put a lot of trust in religion. Even Christians put a lot of trust in religion. Scripture says it makes no difference. Circumcision, uncircumcision, all religions are divided into two groups. It says it makes nothing. It makes avails nothing. It's of no profit. Only thing that matters is, are we a new creation? We are not a new creation. We are in trouble. Our ethnicity, our race, our clan, our family, none. Our education, our career, our pension, nothing matters. A salary, your position in your company, nothing matters. The only thing that matters, God says, are you a new creation? Because this old creation will be burned up, totally destroyed, vaporized. In Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10, when I look at it, And the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now when I look, now we look at it. When Peter was writing, poor Peter had no clue what he was writing. How does elements melt? It looks like a nuclear holocaust. Literally like God allows. God has different ways of doing things. He says, takes his hand off and there is a nuclear holocaust probably and Everything is vaporized. It melts. Nothing left. Because this is what you wanted. These are the choices you made. Fine. You bring judgment upon yourself. Finished. Gone. That's why the problem is more than people in the church. The unbelievers in the world believe this. And they are making all nuclear shelters. You can build. Custom made shelters can be made. $40,000 onwards it goes up. 40 or 50 thousand dollars you can make. They come, custom made companies will make how to escape a nuclear holocaust because they believe it's coming. No shelter we can escape this when it comes. You cannot escape this. So what should be our attitude when we know this old creation, we are so obsessed with this, is going to be burned up, vaporized. Scripture says, what should be our attitude? Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 onwards, scripture says, Therefore, since all these things will be now dissolved, gone, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? God says, beware. If you know, I know, we know, what should be in conduct, in holiness and in godliness, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Because of which heavens will be dissolved being on fire. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Everything. It's not just earth. I don't think there is going to be any. They want to make a colony in Mars and all. There will be no Mars, Venus, nothing. All will be gone. That's what scripture says. 
If you have it, if you have a doubt, read Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. What does it say? Hmm? In the beginning God created the? Created the? Created the? Heavens. And what does Revelation 22, 21 verse 1 say? 21 verse 1 say? There is no heavens. It's only heaven. All is gone. All is gone. Okay, remember. Read scripture carefully. Every letter matters. There will be nothing left. Nobody will be sitting and studying geology and astronomy and science and all that will be bound up, including your textbooks which you don't like. Everything will be burned off. Okay. Holy conduct. Let's go back to that. Peter. Holy conduct and godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which what? Nice. Here he says new heavens, okay? Righteousness, holiness, godliness, righteousness. God says... This is what we need to be. And he says, if you pursue that, you can hasten, quicken the coming of the day of the Lord. So scripture says in verse 14, in verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. What these things? The bonfire. Looking forward, are we looking forward to the heavenly bonfire? He says, looking forward to this heavenly day of judgment. Be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him in peace with God, with man, in peace, without spot and blameless. Without spot and blameless. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. That's why the scripture says, pursue peace. Pursue holiness without which no one will see God. Epistle after epistle are written as warnings and exhortations. From Romans to Revelation is written for the believers. It is not written for the unbelievers. Unbelievers may pick it up, read and get saved, but it was never written for unbelievers. Romans to Revelation was written for those who were saved. Every epistle from Roman to Revelation is an exhortation of the day of judgment that is coming and warning and exhorting God's people to keep our focus heavenwards to God's perspective of life. If you are not saved, it will make no sense. It will not make that's why we need to keep on examining ourselves who says, Am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? Are things being made new? Are all the old things passing away? Or am I still holding on to the old things of this world? Am I still crazy about the things of the world? Or are all those things passing away? And it's making me new, preparing for those new creation. Is there a pursuit in me? Am I pursuing this peace and holiness? Because for this purpose, Jesus came to seek, to save the lost. So if you are not part of the new creation, which I strictly believe as a pastor, that many in the church still are not saved, though they are good children, they are not saved. First, the lostness of man must be preached. You cannot be found unless you are lost. 
find me. But are you lost? To be found by God, you need to first acknowledge you are lost. See, in that midnight hour at Philippi, that jailer, he saw all the prisoners free. Everybody free. He did not know they, were, they had left. They were all there in the prison. They had not left. So he was about to kill himself rather than be executed by the Romans. He was about to kill when Paul said, don't. We are all here fine. What shocked him was to see that probably that worship service going on in that midnight hour in that darkness. Nobody wanting to leave. Though the doors were open. This is the day these prisoners were looking for. A day the windows and doors will be open. And they can go out to the free world. But now every window and door is open. Nobody wants to go. This man is stunned. And he is the only actually free man. They are all prisoners. Then he realized, I am not free. I am the one here now that is lost. We must realize our lost condition first. In that dark night, he will ask a question in Acts chapter 16. He called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That should be the question. What should, must I do to be saved? That should be the question tonight. Even if you are saved, what must I do to be, be saved even more? Because he can save us to the uttermost. That's what scripture says. What must I do to be saved? In verse 31, he says, Paul says, verse 31, sorry, he says, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Believe. You have to first believe that Jesus is the sacrifice and the substitute of our sin. And receive him as our... You may It may sound very simple, but it is not simple. It's not very simple. The older you grow, it becomes more difficult. Young, it is very little. I mean, it's, it's easiest for him. Because he's the youngest. The minute you reach a little more and you're in class 10, class 11, class 12, you have some accomplishments. So you add your accomplishments to your salvation. Very difficult. Don't think this is easy. Don't ever think it is easy to actually come to the cross and say, Lord, you and you alone, I just come empty-handed. I have nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing. Not only on the first day of your salvation, till the last day of your salvation, nothing can save you. Nothing is acceptable to God other than what Jesus did on the cross. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. My works, my ministry, my preaching, nothing matters. It is irrelevant for salvation. Salvation, only one thing. Just as I am. Without a plea. It's a very humbling thing. Very liberating thing for the sinner. Very humbling thing for those who think they are righteous. Very, very. Believe in the Lord. We'll say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means believe only in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. Nothing of yours is acceptable to God. That is why people struggle with this message. People struggle with the message of the cross. We must believe. Salvation. It's an absolutely total work of God. 
and the result of it is is a new birth and a new creation not only that salvation is dynamic it's an ongoing process just like natural life eternal life is also an ongoing process in natural life all of us sitting here has a past has a present and a future even madhuri has a small past small past but she too has a past so there is salvation past there is salvation present and there is salvation future salvation past is the deliverance from the penalty of sin nobody can pay that only christ can in colossians chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 scripture says and you you who is in that you all of us including me you everybody you being dead absolutely dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh he has he has made alive i was dead he made me alive can a dead raise by it's by its himself no somebody has to raise the dead i cannot raise if i'm dead i cannot raise myself he says every human being was dead in their sin in their they were walking around thinking they were alive but everyone was dead that's why everyone dies because there is none of us have life in ourselves to sustain life understand that that's why everybody dies it doesn't matter what you do everyone dies everyone grows old everyone's body is deteriorating because death set in when sin came in scripture says you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him in him was life together with him he made us alive having forgiven you all trespasses and he died on the cross penalty for our sin we were forgiven the first thing of salvation is salvation past for those who are already saved we have been delivered from the penalty of sin Salvation present is the deliverance of the power of sin. Romans 6:14 says, "You are under sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace." Salvation present today. If today you leaned on the grace of God, you have you did not allow sin to have dominion over you. Very simple. Salvation past forgiven from the penalty of sin salvation present today how did you go through day grace was available if you are under grace sin cannot have dominion over you grace was available god says boldly confidently come to the throne room of grace and receive grace mercy and grace for any need you will face today salvation present is that you are not under you are delivered from the power of sin today remember 1 and 2 being pardoned it's not the same as being holy okay being pardoned is not the same as being holy being pardoned gives us the freedom to choose the road to holiness once i am pardoned i have the freedom to choose the road to holiness let me ask you a hypothetical question let's say there is a man who's been sentenced to life many times over sometimes courts sentence for different crimes you'll give him 150 years of life imprisonment many times over they do it 
and also with no chance of parole, meaning he will never get pardoned. No chance of parole. Let me ask you, when he's lying in his solitary confinement, does all his good deeds make any difference? Does it make any good difference to him or to anybody? But if he receives a pardon and is released, then all his choices of good makes a difference to him. So if you and I haven't received a pardon for our sins, all our good deeds has no meaning in eternity. You are still dead. And dead men don't walk in eternity. They just burn. So pardon and holiness are not the same. The first thing God does is he gives us the pardon, forgiveness for our sins because he looks at Jesus. You believed in my son? Yes. You believed he died for you? Yes. You repent of your sins? Yes. You believe he's a substitute? Yes, he is forgiven. That gives us now the freedom to choose. Now that freedom to choose has to be to choose, make the right choices. Lord, I want to make right choices. I need discernment of good and evil. Therefore, scripture says, the minute Paul, Peter preached, they believed, they were baptized, scripture says, they gathered daily for the apostles' doctrine, for the teaching of the word of God, so they would know how to make those choices on this path to holiness. That's why we gather. We're not gathering for any other reason. The reason is we need knowledge of the Holy One to make choices to discern between what is good and evil because he is the only one who knows what is good and evil, not we. Because every good and evil is in relation to him, not to us. To the man, the fallen man, after having eaten in the garden by Adam and Eve, they relate to us. So they say, I am good because I am better than you. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. So what we need First is a pardon first. Every man needs a pardon first. Otherwise, your righteous works are like, what does God say? Filthy rags, though. Actual word in Hebrew is a terrible word, but filthy rags, he says, before me. So the Christian faith, let me explain, reiterate this again. The Judeo-Christian faith is the only faith where redemption comes before righteousness. The Judeo-Christian faith is the only faith where what comes first? Redemption comes before no other religion. No other religion. Go ask any Muslim, how will you be redeemed? He says, I have to do this, do this, five pillars of Islam, I have to do this, do this, do this, and then Allah have mercy on me. Ask the Hindu. How are you redeemed? He will say, karma, I have to do this. Ultimately, my good has to outweigh my evil. Ask the Buddhist, oh, the, my desire is that in my next birth, if my good is, I can become a lama. I have walked among all these people. I have asked them all these questions. I have asked the Catholics also. In one Bible study, I remember years back, all the Catholics, I asked them from one end to the other. Each one of you tell me, if you die, will you go to heaven? They said, yes. I said, why will you go to heaven? They said, good works. I said, then why did Jesus die? Nobody had an answer. Why did Jesus die? If your good works will take you to heaven. This is the only faith where redemption comes before righteousness. We have to be redeemed. Then we are redeemed for righteousness. It's the only faith. Nothing else. Absolutely not. No other religion. So once you are forgiven, God blots away your past. And your 
born again as a new person inside, old things have passed away. So always keeping looking inside for those old things and tell it, you have passed away. Don't prop up again. You have passed away. Okay. Now grace, the grace of God is moving us down that narrow path to holiness. Why? Because he is holy. The one who redeemed us is holy. That is why we need the knowledge of God and the grace of God to be transformed. Knowledge alone is not enough. Knowledge without power will make you a miserable person. Miserable person. Miserable. There are many saints, sages in India who sought those paths and they were miserable. Miserable. They fasted, they stood, they did all kinds of things. Why are these people doing all these things? Because they have a knowledge of, some kind of a knowledge of the holy. Standing there like this for days and weeks and months, but no power to change within. They can control their body. They cannot control their soul. Because for that you need power. You need power. It's impossible. This is, this is what, this is the, the, what do you call, I wouldn't want to call it the use of the word trap, but this is the paradox about salvation. Salvation, one level is ultimately, absolutely the work of God. The other level, we have to cooperate with it. Otherwise it won't happen. We choose. God does. We choose. God does. We choose. God does. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. He says, you know all this. Don't get fooled by the wicked and fall away from the narrow path to holiness. Instead, what should you do? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grow in both. As you grow in knowledge, you need to grow in grace. So to grow in knowledge, you need to grow in grace. Otherwise, that knowledge will start haunting you. The knowledge becomes dangerous. Because you don't have the grace to support that knowledge, to walk in that knowledge. You need grace, you need knowledge. That's why God as a father says, nothing should stop you. Come boldly. Come confidently to the very throne room of grace and receive mercy. Yes, I know. Maybe you were led away by the error of the wicked. Okay, come back. Receive mercy. Lord, Let's just put it in, let's talk to the young people in terms which uh, you understand. Let's say your father has 10 crores in the bank and he gave you an ATM card. And suddenly you need 100 rupees and when you went uh, and pulled out 100 rupees, did anything happen to his account balance? Did it even make a dent in it? God says no. He says that's what he says, where sin abounds, Grace abounds. He says, yes, he says, come back to me. Come back to me. He said, mercy is there. Why? Because of the price that he paid. It's so huge in the eyes of God. It covers all our sins. It's not a license to sin, but it does cover. And you know, it makes us grateful and say, Lord, you know what? I did not know this. I want to run and hide my face in you. Grow in grace. So then, what does it come? We receive freedom. We receive freedom. Salvation past, as I said in the beginning, is freedom from the penalty of sin. Salvation present is when we experience the daily freedom from the power of sin because of the knowledge of God. And God is giving us information to discern between good and 
evil. I was telling the pastors on that pastor's conference, God doesn't show us everything. When we start our walk with God, God says, am I fine God? God says, no you are not. Why? You, you eat too much. <coughs> that's all? God says, yeah, that's all. Right now. Okay. Start controlling your diet. And then, Lord, I'm controlling. Am I okay? God says, no. But I'm not eating. Yeah, that I agree. Then what's it? You're talking too much. Oh, okay. 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 One week, you haven't talked much. You're very careful about your words. You're feeling good. God, am I good? He says, you're good, but not good enough. Huh? What's wrong, Lord? I don't talk. I don't know. He says, you got a lying spirit. <gasps> got a lying spirit? Yes. Deal with it. You're dealt with the lying spirit. You see, our discernment to see the evil within us only grows with the knowledge of God. He doesn't show everything every day. So it's a constant process to discern because all that we see as good is not really good. Not really good. And we will not see it unless we choose to walk with God. He will. That's why it's scripture talks about Enoch. He walked with God and he was taken up alive because by the time he finished his walk, God said, you're good. You're good. You're too good for planet Earth. Salvation present. We experience daily freedom from the power of sin because of the knowledge of God. And God gives us information. He gives us understanding. How to not discern between evil or good before other people. No, we are very good at that. Not that the evil and the good in us. That's why we come for the study of the word of God. Hebrews 5 talks about that. In Hebrews 5, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of right and For he is a baby. If you're only taking part in drinking the, the milk of the word of God, superficial understanding, historical understanding, historical understanding, that's not. People fight over pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation. How does it matter? Just be, not be caught in tribulation. Knowing all eschatology doesn't change anything in your life. Today, a whole day I was on a chat with somebody in US talking about oneness doctrine. Whether God is one or whether God is three. I said, how does it change your life? Whether God is one or three. People, I said, I tell the people who argue about this. In what one, in one, which, which way has the doctrine of Trinity changed your life? Whether God is one in three persons or three person or only one person, does it make any difference? We don't realize, this is, this, this, no, that's how the devil will. The minute the devil sees you're a little interested in the knowledge of God, he will change you and change your direction in the knowledge about God. History. Start fighting over little things which have no relevance. Be careful that we are not academics in the kingdom of God. He doesn't want academics. He wants people who know him. The knowledge of the Holy One of Israel to know Him. Scripture says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, spiritual full age. That is those who by the reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Through the Word of God, the meat of the Word of God, they are able to discern what is good and what is evil and make appropriate choices. And he says, that's how we have to grow in the Word of God. Because then, if you have gone through salvation past and salvation present, then will come what is called salvation future. Salvation future is you are delivered from the very presence of sin. There is no sin in that place. And no body too, which will make you sin. 
This body is gone. That place has been purified. Not purified. Has been destroyed. Everything has been made new. There is no trace of sin in that place. There is no Satan. There is no flesh. There is no temptation. Therefore, there is no sin. And that is no more struggle. We reach a place of eternal rest. That's what the Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters and all liars shall depart in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They have no place in the new creation. Again, in verse 22 and 27, Revelation 21, 22 to 27, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no temple in heaven. God himself is the temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. You know what God is talking about? Today we talk about sun and moon. Basically, talk. that's how light and darkness is separated. The light and darkness basically representing hypothetically good and evil. But in heaven there is no sun and moon. It's always light. There's no evil. It's always good. Who is the light? The Lamb is its light. They walk in the light of God. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The nations of those who are saved shall walk. There is this city. And there is God and the city is shining with the glory of Jesus Christ and there is his heavens and the new earth and all the nations are walking in the light of God. Its gate shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. There is no day, no night. The gates are open. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But they shall by no means enter Anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So all women who love pants, remember, you won't wear it there. Get used to wearing stuff which are feminine, because scripture says it is an abomination to God, and the scripture says nothing that causes an abomination will enter there. Be careful. Take scripture as scripture. Don't get caught in the wrong place there. Crow, because you will end up in earth and not have permission to enter in the city of God. That's what it's talking about. Entering into the city of God. Because you sanctify yourself here, not there. Sanctification all is here. So we are heaven born, but we are heaven bound. So our problem is not with justification. We love it. We thrill about glorification. We look forward to it. But it's with sanctification. It's a daily regard. The present work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's why the call of God to the redeemed is pursue. Hebrews 12.14 Pursue. 12.14 Pursue peace. Pursue peace with all people. And holiness, without which no one will see. Pursue peace. God is called, in Second Corinthians, He is called the God of peace. Jesus is called 
the prince of peace. The Holy Spirit's fruit, one of the fruit is called peace. And those who are the sons of God are called peacemakers. The peacemakers are called sons of God. Remember, pursue peace with all people. And holiness, without which no one will see God. Pursue peace, pursue holiness. In Second Timothy chapter 2, 22, flee youthful lust. Young people, flee youthful lust. Middle-aged people, flee middle-aged lust. Old people flee old age lust, but everybody pursue righteousness, pursue peace, pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Their separation comes. Pursue all this in a separated group. Separation comes. That's why the church means ecclesia, which means a called out, a separated set of people. Pursue all these things with a people who call on God with out of a pure heart. Your motive is is right. This is the divine imperative. This is a divine commandment. In Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, and the spirit. And the spirit. Remember, that is where discernment has to come. And discernment comes, God will start showing you the filthiness in the spiritual world and tells you back off. Back off. Don't go there. Don't touch there. Don't handle that. Move away from that person because he starts showing you the filthiness of even if you are zeal to save. Let me show you from another portion in Jude. Chapter uh, only one chapter, 22 and 23. Even in your zeal to save people, keep yourself uh, and, and have on the 22 and 23, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. Compassion, but make a distinction. What is the distinction? Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. The garments are defiled by the flesh. Flesh is not this body, it is the flesh. The carnality they have never killed. You have to save them. But when you are saving them, see that you don't defile yourself. That is perfecting holiness in the spirit. Because spiritual things touch people. And we are not even aware of the spirit of this world. There is a spirit of this world. This world has a spirit. And God says, even in your zeal for evangelism and saving some people, be very careful. Don't be messed up. By their filthiness. Second Corinthians 7, 1. So scripture says, having all these promises, beloved, let us, God will do if we are willing. If we make the choice, he will do the work. Cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting. You are on the road to holiness, but perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Getting the message? A holy man or a woman is not one who cannot sin. A holy man or a woman is one who will not sin. It's a choice. It's not who cannot sin. It's one, having discernment, chooses not to sin. So our disciplines will determine our eternal destiny. God is more interested in who you are than in what you do. Parents are often more interested in what you do than who you are, not God. 
The true Christian ideal is to be holy and not happy. Often in the pursuit of holiness, you may lose your happiness and cause a lot of people also their happiness. So often you'll have to make your choice. Do you want to choose holiness or happiness? Joseph chose the road to be holy. He made a lot of people very unhappy. Even his father was unhappy at a point. God was not unhappy. God was happy with him. Because the whole purpose, understand the whole purpose of God in our redemption is to make us holy and restore us back to the original image of God with which man was created. So everything that we do, we choose after redemption, we must ask this question. Anything that you do, post-redemption, we must ask this question. If I do this, if I choose this, whatever it is, whatever it is, if I do this, does that make me holy? Does that affect my holiness? That's a question we need to ask. To live a holy life in an unholy world, or a righteous life in an unrighteous world without God, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's why we need the knowledge of God to make right choices. For only God can discern between good and evil. We need the knowledge of the word of God. We need the knowledge of the word of God. If you are very, very careful, if you know the knowledge of God from the word of God, you will be very careful about even which Christian channels you watch. Very careful. Let me give you one example as we coming to the close. Let me ask you, why is that half the preachers on TV are exhorting people to pursue money? I'll ask you this question. Why did Jesus say you cannot serve two masters? I'm not saying we don't need money. We don't, we need money. Everybody needs money. But what is the danger? The danger. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Why? Why is the love of money the root of all kinds of evil? Because money takes dependency in God. It's very few people who can have money and be entirely dependent upon God. Because money is another God. The more money you have, less dependent you are upon God. Less dependent upon God. Money gives the second danger. Money gives us power to make choices without having to depend upon God for discernment. Gives us power to make choices. And often the choices we make with money power is choices for evil, not for good. That's the danger. Soon money itself become, will become a stumbling block to the pursuit of holiness. Take a look around. Just take a look around. How many rich people do you see in church? None. All average. Middle class. How many rich people do you see in church? Why? Why? Because money itself becomes a stumbling block to the pursuit of holiness. That's why we need the knowledge of the Holy One. When we make choices. Why are you making career choices? Let me ask you. When you are making your career choices, aspiring, dreaming, is it all connected with money? Isn't it all connected with money? At the end of it, isn't it connected with money? 
that if I choose and this career comes ultimately, it ends up in how many figures you can earn. Isn't it? That's why we need the knowledge of God through his word. Because preachers will come and tell you things and, and because you don't have discernment how to read scripture and understand what God is. You know, because God's nature is characterized by holiness. That's why all his actions are righteous. We pursue both. This is our eternal destiny. We pursue holiness. We pursue righteousness. A few scriptures within the five minutes I still have. Ephesians 1, 4. Quickly. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Ephesians 5.27. How does that happen? That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. How does he do that? By the washing of the water. By the word, by the word, he sanctifies us. Colossians 1, 22 and 23. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Condition, if indeed you continue in the faith. If you continue in this progression in your salvation, in your pursuit of holiness, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He says, remain steadfast, remain grounded to the gospel. He says, you continue, he will make us holy. We have to continue in it. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 to 22, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, those who experience this and they are again entangled in them and overcome, their latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Are you getting it? You're on the road to righteousness. You were redeemed. You were shown this way, but you got tangled in unrighteousness again and you go back. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. For it has happened to them according to the true proverb. What is that? A dog does, goes back to it, returns to its own. What is God telling here? This is something for believers, okay? You are on the road to holiness. You are on the road to righteousness. You go, and then you go back to your vomit. You go, you go back to your vomit. What is the inherent danger in it? God's scripture says in Matthew chapter 7, if I am right, and verse 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs. He will not give you a revelation of his holiness. You'll always be a baby in Christ because he cannot reveal his holiness to you because you are like a dog that goes back to the vomit. And without holiness, no one will see God. No one will see God. No one will see God. Because he himself said, do not give what is holy to the dogs. And who's the dog? Is he talking about dogs? No, he's not talking about dogs. He's talking about humans. He's talking about redeemed people here. The one who knew the path of righteousness and then goes back. And go back and forth, back and forth. He says, you will not have a revelation of the holy. And it doesn't matter to people because they don't understand the holiness of God will define everything in eternity. Sanctification will determine everything in eternity. Understand that. Because God is holy, First Corinthians 3.17 says, our bodies become holy. First Corinthians 6.19 will say, do you not know 
Your body is the temple of the Lord. Our bodies become everything. Why did God give so many laws to the Israelites about clean and unclean, what to eat, what not to eat, what to wear? Because he said, you are holy. So everything will be defined by that. I am holy, you are my people, you are holy, so everything in your life will be defined by this. This is holy, this is unholy for you. He says, your bodies are holy. Because God is holy, God says, our fellowship is holy. You know, how many four times or five times in scripture this is recorded. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That was a form of greeting there, meaning your fellowship should be holy. Why? Because he is holy, you are holy, therefore your fellowship should be holy. Not not in wrath, not in anger, not in gossip, not in slander. Your fellowship should be holy because he is holy, you are holy, your fellowship should be holy. And because he is holy, scripture says in First Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. Yeah? 2 and verse 8. Therefore, I desire that men pray everywhere. How? Lifting up holy hand. I said I want you to pray. I want all men to pray. But before you pray, I want to see your hands are holy. Your works are holy. And when you lift up holy hands and you pray, God says, I move. I desire you to pray. I don't want you to pray just like that. Remember who you are, who I am. Therefore, let your hands be holy and lift up those holy hands. Are you getting the picture? What God is talking about? Everything because of him in our life is transformed. That's why he says, old things have passed away. New things are taking shape. This is the new thing. Why? What is it building? The last verse for today, in Ephesians 2, verse 21 and 21, Paul says, In whom? In whom? In Christ. The whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple. Into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Right? Just imagine like a pyramid. Huge structure is being filled, being built. And every person is to be a living stone in it because inside God will fill it all with his Holy Spirit. That's the purpose of redemption. The purpose of redemption is that. Understand what's the purpose of redemption. And that's what we pursue. That is what, see, God says, don't worry about the other things. That I will give you. If you put this first, I'll take care of the rest. But if you don't put this first, it doesn't matter what in life you have achieved, it will all taste like dust in your mouth one day. It will all. Ask Solomon. Always read the last verses of the book of Ecclesiastics. A man who went after everything and at the end of it he says, what a waste of life. What a waste of power. What a waste of riches. What a waste of knowledge. All a waste. Don't waste young ones. You're very young. You can make real quality decisions today in your life because you have much, you've been given much in a young age. You can really have discernment and shut off everything, everything of the world because you cannot, you cannot make choices if you keep defiling your minds with junk. Cut it off. Don't look to the left and right. Let people in your classrooms, in your, let them do whatever they want, watch whatever they want, dress in whatever they want. Don't be moved. Telling you young people, don't be moved by any of these things mean nothing. The world is passing away, so are the desires thereof, says scripture. But he who does the will of God will live for ever and ever. And say now as a young person, I want to be that person, Lord. Give me the grace and the strength to stand. And if needed, stand alone. 
Stand alone. Stand alone. And God says, I am with you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I am with you till the very end. For those people who make such a commitment, he says, you will experience my presence every day. Every day of your life, you will experience my presence. You are not alone. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening, we just come to you, Lord. We surrender everything into thy hands. Oh, Father, as we learn, Lord, teach us to grow in grace. When as we grow in knowledge, so that, oh, Father, your plan, your purpose in our lives would be fulfilled, Lord. That each one of us will be built as that living stone to be fitted perfectly into this temple that is being built by unseen hands for the very Spirit of God to dwell in His fullness one day, Lord. Help us to be part of that building. Help us to surrender each day. Help us to see and discern the evil and the good in us. Help us to choose good that is good in your sight. Help us to be separated from the world and to be unto you. Help us yet to go to the world marred by sin and to save those who are prisoners of sin, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us. We have to do all this. We have to stay away, yet we have to go in. We have to do all this. And we know, Lord, without you, we just cannot do it. We just need you, Lord. We just need you. Another three days into this week, we need you, Lord. Another month coming, we need you, Lord. We need you, we need you, we need you, Lord. Fill us afresh this night, Lord. Even now when we are in your house, touch us, fill us. Maybe some who are, when they are on the road, you fill them. When they are in their bed meditating upon what they have heard tonight, fill them, Lord. But Father, fill us, Lord. Because in us we do not have the strength or the power. But through you, Father, we can do all things, Lord. We have to do it, Father. Fill us with your strength. Because the time is so close for that day, Lord. It is just around the corner. And like the thief in the night, that day will come upon us. Help us to prepare ourselves to meet our maker. Thank you, thank you, Father. You brought us here safely. And I pray, Father, now, and I commit everyone into the hands that you will reach everyone home safely, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.